Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. A very different Easter. You're probably not um, doing the usual things you would do at this time of year, perhaps having family or even being able to go out very far and enjoy creation round about us. But as we celebrate Easter in our own homes, in the lockdown that we're all part of at this present time, it's good for us to remember, of course, that the Easter story as it was given to us in the events of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as it was given to us in the scriptures written throughout the first century of that Christ era, that that message was given to people who weren't living in easy times. It was given to the disciples who, as we'll see in a few minutes, were locked in that upper room for fear of the Jews. It was recorded and given out to churches that were facing the increasing onslaught of persecution from the Roman authorities and indeed from other parties within the Roman Empire. It wasn't an easy time. It was a time of real trial and stress. And yet the Easter message, the Easter story was given, was born and was preached in such an environment. And so perhaps for the first time for a long period, as Christians, especially in the West, we gather this Easter in some ways in a similar environment as to the first church and the early Christians. And that's good for us to remember. Interesting enough, the the record of the Easter story given to us by the various Gospels, of course, varies. Mark's Gospel hardly has anything to do with the Easter story in terms of the resurrection. It tells and speaks much about the journey to Jerusalem and all that took place that first Good Friday, but really only a very tail-end reference to the resurrection. Whereas by the time we get to John's Gospel, and we're going to read from John's Gospel in a few minutes, there's a far fuller account as John, writing towards the end of his life and towards the end of the first century, looks back and remembers writing at a time when he probably was in prison or certainly under persecution for the faith. He recalls all the dynamics that took place during that first Easter Sunday. The appearance of Christ, but also the fear and the questions and the doubts of the disciples. Let's hear from John's Gospel, John chapter 20, and reading from verse 19 to verse 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. As I said, Mark's Gospel barely references the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew expands it slightly, the story of the women going to the tomb. Luke's Gospel expands it even further the story of the road to Emmaus, and Peter and John going to the tomb and seeing the grave clothes lying laid out on that tombstone, and the appearance of Jesus to the disciples in the upper room, the same story that John picks up on. 
part of the reason why that story, in a sense, develops over that first century of the Christian church is because when Mark's gospel was written, the reality of the resurrection was still being testified to by the very first disciples. Written at the very beginning of the Christian church's story, in many ways, there were still plenty of people who could testify to the risen Christ part of the crowd that saw him, as John tells us, and as Paul in his letter tells us, Jesus preached to hundreds of people at a time during that resurrection encounter. And there were still people alive who could bear witness to that. Whereas John, writing, as I say, towards the end of his life, was writing to that post-immediate resurrection church. Those first believers had died. The faith was continuing, but no longer were people evidently able personally to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How would that resurrection impact on a world that had not actually seen with their own eyes the risen Jesus? John wants to make clear in his gospel that the resurrection of Jesus is not only a historical event, but something which is for now, which is for today, whenever that today and now is, whether it's the 8th or 9th century AD, or whether it's the 21st century AD, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical event, but it impacts on the now, on the reality of the world, a world, as I've said, which was far from perfect and far from easy for these first believers. We read that the disciples were in that upper room, but the door was locked for fear of the Jews. Long before lockdown became a popular phrase, in our present circumstances, the disciples were in a lockdown. Understandably, they were afraid of the Jews. They'd just seen what Jesus had suffered at the hands of the Jewish authorities, helped, of course, along the road by the Roman governor. They rightly were concerned about their well-being, what was going to happen to them, who was going to be next. But I think the Gospel writers, John, as I say, particularly, and Luke, to an extent, want to make clear that that fear was far more than just a physical locking down. And I'm sure we can testify and identify with that. While rightly we follow the government's instructions and remain within our homes and limit our movement and going about, even the government and scientists are aware that the lockdown is more than just a physical state of affairs. Concerns have already been expressed on the way in which this lockdown in our present setting will affect people's psychological well-being, the pressure it can put upon families, upon relationships. And in such an environment, although the physical restraints are real, what can become increasingly real and increasingly controlling is the fears that it creates, the fear of an unknown, the fear of losing control, the fear of the what-if, the fear of failure. That was the experience of the disciples in that upper room that first Easter Sunday. All sorts of different dark clouds were circling around them. Not only the physical fear of what might happen to their bodies, but the fear, yes, of failure. They had let the Lord down. The suspicion amongst the disciples and the gospel writers, as I say, especially John, and to a degree Luke, hint at that, that amongst that gathering of disciples, there were those who were beginning to have faith as they heard the account of the women and the disciples on the road to Emmaus and other stories, those who were beginning to have faith, but also those who still doubted. John particularly picks up the story of Thomas and of how it was only the following week when he himself had an encounter with the disciples that he believed. All of that was going on. And how we can identify with that? 
wondering what the future might have, wondering what someone or something might do to us, whether it's catching the virus, whether it's some other calamity. The disciples were in lockdown and filled with fear. And fear, of course, is a very isolating thing. Again, self-isolation is an in-phrase. But fear is a very isolating thing. It causes us to draw away from others. It causes us to look into ourselves, into a, a dark abyss, perhaps, of things that from the past had always lurked, but now came up, come out and are far more evident in the quiet, self-isolating period we're going through. Who can rescue us from these fears? What is our exit strategy as the government, not just here but throughout our world, seek to work out how best to get out of this situation? So we, locked into our fears perhaps, also need to know an exit strategy. Well, because the exit strategy is Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And that peace, as I'm sure we all know, is far more than the absence of conflict or hostility. That peace is the very shalom of God. That peace which passes all human understanding. That peace which Jesus won for us on the cross. As Paul, as we've often looked at in Ephesians 2, speaks of Jesus as a peacemaker who brokers that peace deal, which is a lasting and profound and deeply therapeutic ministry into a sin-sick soul. Jesus stands with those disciples, with their failure, with their fear, with all the dynamics that are going round about them, and he stands in the midst of that room, and his very body, we're told that he showed them his hands and side, his very body demonstrates how that peace was won, how that peace was secured, what price was paid, and how effective that price payment is. And we're told the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Fear was replaced by faith. Not perfect faith, as I say, the gospel writers tell us that even although they worshipped, some still doubted. We're complex human beings. There's no wave of the magic wand, but there is the beginning of a recreation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, Paul tells us. The old is gone, the new has come. And that work of recreation is beginning in the same way as in the springtime round about us, we start to see here the signs of new beginnings and life bursting forth. First the daffodils, now the tulips, now the birds, the buds on the trees and the birds in their nests. All of that is a sign of that work of recreation so God and Christ makes that possible for us to be recreated, to be reborn, to be renewed, to be set free from the lockdown of fear and brought into the liberty of life and fullness. And all of that comes through faith in the risen Christ. Jesus goes and speaks to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with this he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Note what Jesus is doing there. As I said earlier, fear locks us into ourselves and locks us into a black hole of whatever. The risen Christ sets us free from that. He calls us to look up, to look out, and to look around. And he equips us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The very Spirit that moved over the waters at the dawn of time, over the darkness, over the chaos of that creation, and brought forth order and light and humanity 
that same Spirit, the same Spirit that brought again Jesus Christ from the grave, is the same Spirit that Jesus breathes into our fearful and troubled hearts. That word of peace, that word of understanding, he remembers that we are but dust, frail and fragile, and yet the risen Christ offers us the power of the Spirit to renew and transform our way of thinking, our way of looking at things, our way of being. And he gives us a job. He tells us, as, I am, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And perhaps even as we go into this next period of lockdown, for it's very unlikely the government will change its mind this coming week, this present lockdown will probably continue well into the beginning of May. Perhaps, maybe it's a calling this Easter time for some of us anyway, who are finding time heavy in our hands, who are finding this self-isolation not a good thing because it engenders fear and despair within our lives. Perhaps we need to get up, to look out, to see perhaps how we can help in some practical way, some need, offer ourselves as a volunteer to a community project, whether it's here in Uddingston or in Bondwell, or whether it's in the wider domain with the NHS, to keep an eye open for neighbours, to begin that ministry of going socially, perhaps isolating in the sense of keeping our distance physically, but through token, through phone call, through a chat over the garden fence, through prayer, we engage in an outward-looking ministry in a society that certainly needs it, in this post-Easter era that we're entering into. The Holy Spirit calls us to be people who look up and look out. Fear leads to inward looking, and ultimately, often, the very things we're afraid about become reality because they take grip on us. God wants to break that. Their empty tomb speaks of the God who breaks the power of death, who breaks the power of fear, who sets the captive free and who gives us a new mission and a new life and a new purpose. That was the message of the first Easter Sunday. That was the message that the gospel writers wanted to testify to as very easily the early church could have been suffocated by fear as persecution increased and many questions were raised. And that's the message that God wants to give us this Easter Sunday. Remember that much-loved hymn, Thine be the glory, risen conquering Son. Endless is the victory, thou o'er death hast won. Angels in bright raiment rolled the stone away, kept the folded grave clothes where thy body lay. Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. Lovingly he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. Let the church with gladness hymns of triumph sing, for her Lord now liveth, death hath lost its sting. No more we doubt thee, glorious Prince of life, life is not without thee, aid us in our strife. Make us more than conquerors, through thy deathless love, bring us safe through Jordan, to thy home above. It's understandable that we can be filled with fear. It's so easy for us to be locked down in that place of fear, the risen Christ comes. He offers us his peace. He shows us his passion for us with the very marks on his body. He breathes the Holy Spirit into our souls and he calls us to look up and to look out and to discern what it is to go for him in these days. That is the message 
of Easter Sunday to his church down through the ages. I'm going to use a prayer that Gray McAuliffe sent to us. It's from the Baptist Union of Scotland, and it's a declaration of hope. And it takes his inspiration from these well-known verses in 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us you birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so let us pray. Through Jesus, we have been born into a living hope. Not a hope that is waiting to be formed. Not a hope that is dead and buried. Not a hope that is wishful thinking. Not a hope that is just a theory. Through Jesus, we've been born into a living hope. The hope created by his resurrection. The hope confirmed by his empty tomb. The hope conveyed by his eyewitness apostles. The hope promised in scripture. The hope purchased by crucifixion. The hope proclaimed in the gospel. Through Jesus, we have been born into a living hope. The hope of love for the loveless. The hope of forgiveness for the failed. The hope of strength for the suffering. The hope that groans in anticipation. The hope that grows in adversity. The hope that grounds our, our assurance. Through Jesus, we've been born into a living hope. The hope that confronts corona with confidence. The hope that invades isolation with intercession. The hope that faces fear with faithfulness. The hope for now and not yet. The hope for a new creation. The hope for no more tears. The hope that Christ will come again. The hope that death will die. The hope that we will rise. With him, in him, for him, forever. Amen. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.